thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back in Vegas this weekend for UFC Vegas 13, Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira. We'll of course be breaking down that light heavyweight fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card. As part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think you should play. And we've been cashing those bets week after week, so you want to make sure to tune into that. Plus, we'll also be doing interviews with two of the fighters who are on that card. And actually, these fighters are fighting each other this week. We're talking to both Max Griffin and Ramiz Brahima, who are getting ready for this tango. And let me tell you something, both of them real jacked up for it for very different reasons. So you're going to want to check out both of those interviews. And of course, before we get started with the episode, I would be remiss if I did not mention that this episode is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. So whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, it does not matter. Log your training sessions, tag those techniques so that you can reach the goals that you're trying to reach. Plus, they've got all kinds of other cool features like logging your competitions, which you can keep in one nice, neat place doing weigh-ins, and so many more. Check them out wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, and joining me today is Ramiz Brahimai, who fights Max Griffin at UFC Vegas 13, Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira. So, Ramiz, I wanted to start by asking you about this crazy run of canceled fights you've had. So, you you had a booking for the Contender Series, you're thinking you're going to get a contract, you you have to pull out of that fight. Can you tell us a little bit about what led to that pullout and, and sort of what the road back was like? Yeah, for sure. So, unfortunately, uh, probably about a week and a half out, I was pulled uh, for medical reasons due to a tumor that was in orbit with my eye. And uh, had I not got it surgically removed and taken care of, I, I would have been blind in my left eye. Crazy thing is, is that on the main event of that fight, I believe it was uh, uh, Alton Cunningham. I think in the first place that was thrown, he uh, fractured his orbital. And uh, had that happened to me, I probably would have been blind. And uh, that probably would have been the end of my career right then and there. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, like, uh, I can't really get too mad about missing that opportunity. But, uh, you know, I'm just thankful that everything went good and uh, the surgery went well. And uh, the road to recovery was a little bit long, but, uh, you know, it was was definitely good. And uh, it's just one of those things that I'm glad that I got it taken care of. Absolutely. Now that, that that sounds terrifying. Now I do have to ask too, like, what what are you allowed to do training wise while you're recovering from that surgery? Because I got to imagine it's fairly intensive. But also, like, can you still throw hands? Can you still hit bags? What what can you still do when you're you're recovering from that? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So for the first two weeks, since the trauma was so excessive to the eye, I had to uh, I had to just chill. Um, I couldn't really do anything that was gonna possibly inflame the the inner part of the eye or even the outer part of the eye for that matter. 
So I just did like a lot of um, like a lot of cardio work, rower, uh, airdyne bike, you know, uh, high intensity, low impact. So I was doing a lot of that stuff. And then probably the third week I started to get back to boxing and kickboxing and everything. And uh, probably a month, month and a uh, month and a half, I started to get back to grappling and then started to do my grappling tournaments just to get back into the spirit of competition. And then uh, in December, I competed in the world. Yeah, well, and I was going to ask you about that, too. I saw you you did just you, – you're being a little modest here. You didn't just compete in Worlds, but you won, <laughs> you won the Worlds at Blue Belt. Now, I, I got to ask you, too, because I see you win Worlds at Blue Belt, and I also see you've got eight submission wins. And I've seen you on the regional scene. I've seen you in LFA. We, we've seen you time and time again. Are you still a blue belt? That's that's still what they have you ranked at? <laughs> no, thankfully, after I won Worlds, I got promoted to purple, man. The, the biggest issue with me has always been that I just don't do gi class as much as I need to, you know. But listen, I promise you guys, man, I promise everybody in the jiu-jitsu community and, and that, that is pretty religious about doing the gi. I've been putting my gi on ever since I got promoted. I promise you. It wasn't like when I got my blue belt, I just kind of stopped doing gi. I was more focused on no gi. Uh, but now I'm doing a lot more gi work. That, that's interesting, too. And, and I have, you know, uh, you know, conflicting feelings about that, too, being a, a no gi guy myself. You know, I, I mostly work in no gi. Do you feel like the, the gi is really helpful to MMA grappling? Because obviously you've got tons of submissions and you haven't really done a ton of gi leading into this. So, like, is it something that you feel like benefits you for, for MMA? So, in, in certain aspects of it, you know, like uh, with the crazy scrambles and everything, it kind of takes it away a little bit. Um, so, you can't evade for instance, submissions, and your opponent cannot evade your submission. So it definitely does uh, have a technical aspect to it that I, I have a ton of respect for, and uh, I grew a lot of respect for it, actually, because I remember when I first started jiu-jitsu, you know, I was just like, ah, I don't really like gi work too much. It's, it's, uh, it's just not my cup of tea. But as I started to, like, really uh, go head first into it, I, I really started to fall in love with it, you know, and uh, – doing a lot more gi with uh, coach Laurence and uh, all my jujitsu uh, partners out here in, in Dallas, Texas. They, they've, they've definitely made it one of those, uh, one of those things that I've, I've learned to fall in love with and, and a game that I've learned to respect. Of course, you know, it has its place where it belongs. You can't really do lapel chokes in MMA. <laughs> uh, you know, you can't catch people in bow and arrow chokes and stuff like that. But in terms of the technical aspect and, and learning how to really truly, uh, for me, it's more position before submission whenever I do the gi work. So it definitely has its place. Of course, a lot of stuff is not applicable to no gi and to MMA, but it definitely it's something that I've uh, grown a lot of respect for. And, and now I do wonder, you know, you said you were using sort of tournaments to get back into the swing of things. You were using worlds to get back into the swing of things. Is that something you're still planning on pursuing now that you've, you know, you've sort of got your UFC contract, you're ready to go now, you, you seem to be back in, in a healthy shape. It, it, are you still going to be doing grappling tournaments in the lake, or, or is that sort of behind you now that you put the focus on MMA? I, I don't think it's ever going to be behind me. I think it's one of those things, you know, just like mixed martial arts, it's, it's I can always improve, you know. Um, and that's something that has helped me this past year, year and a half that I've been out of action uh, is just self-improvement, you know, working on a lot of different things. Uh, 
just everything in general, you know, myself as a fighter, my, my skill set, my mind, uh, just trying to stay sharp everywhere. So, you know, a, a big dream of mine is to qualify for ADCC and, uh, you know, consecutively win worlds at purple belt, brown belt, and of course, whenever the time comes with my black belt. And I would love to do also, if the UFC brings back like a quintet or something like that, I would love to be a part of that 100%. Well, we'd love to see you in that as well. Now, you know, you mentioned the mental side of things and how you dealt with this time away. You know, I was going to ask next, you know, after all of that run-in with the Contender Series, all that stuff with your eye, you finally get the call, and it's not for Contender Series. It's for the UFC. You get all the way to fight week. You get pulled because one of your cornermen tested positive for COVID. How, how did you deal with that aspect mentally, being that this time it wasn't you getting pulled from a fight. This time it was, you know, something sort of out of your control. Yeah, for sure. You know, in both instances, I like to look at it as something that was out of my control and uh, it just wasn't destined for me to happen. You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't meant for me. So I think uh, just looking at it in that light and understanding that, you know, maybe it wasn't the best thing for me at the moment. uh, That's what helped me get forward, you know, and it's just, like a lot of things in life, you know, sometimes we plan for things and we think that they're going to come accordingly and on our time frame. And, you know, when they don't hit, we get, uh, you know, all sad and we get down on ourselves and we think that it's our fault. But in reality, a lot of times, whenever things miss us, maybe it was for the better, you know? So that's the way that I've always looked at it. And, uh, that's what's been helping me a lot. And I just always knew I was just going to truck forward. And I knew that my day was my day and my time was going to come when I was going to be in the UFC and, uh, you know, now, uh, you know, third time's the charm. Like I said earlier in this interview, hopefully uh, this time when we get to fight week, everything goes smooth, smooth sailing, and I get to I get to bring an electrifying fight. For sure, for sure. And that electrifying fight comes against Max Griffin. And I'm just curious on what you thought when they offered you him as an opponent for your debut, because he, he's a guy who's been in there with a ton of the top guys, right? Like he's fought Mike Perry, Cowboy Oliveira. He fought Colby Covington earlier in his career. Like, He's fought some of the guys in this division. What, what did you think about when they gave you that name? You know, it was uh, it was it was one of those things where it was an honor to fight him. Uh, you know, this guy he just brings it. You know, and he's a guy I have a lot of respect for. He's a guy I can't wait to get in there and mix it up with him. You know, I mean, every time this guy fights, it's it's potential fight of the night. You know, I've never seen him in a boring fight. I can honestly say that I've never seen. Max Griffin in the boring fight. So it's one of those things that I'm happy to oblige. And uh, I, I'm happy to give uh, the fans, uh, the, U- the UFC, what they want. And uh, most importantly, you know, give, give me and Max Griffin the fight that we've been, we, we always, we always come to, to know and uh, to expect out of both of us, you know, which is uh, a tremendous <laughs> high paced fight. And we're certainly looking forward to that fight. Now, before I let you go, I do, I've interviewed a bunch of the guys from Fortis MMA, and I always have to ask this question at the end, because I think he's one of the most interesting guys in MMA right now, is Safe Saud. He's been on our show as well. We've interviewed him a couple of times. And, and I'm just curious, he's, he's always got some very intense words for people in the corner. I'm wondering if you have a specific Safe Saud story that sticks out to you about advice he gave you or either in the cage or out of the cage that you'd share with us? Oh, oh my God. Where do I begin? You know, I think the one that sticks out the most to me is, uh, I think it was my first uh, loss that I had suffered. Unfortunately, I slammed my opponent and I hit my uh, head on the steel beam. I was fully concussed. I can't really remember round two, to be honest with you at all. Um, 
So going in between the corner of round one and two, I could not hear a thing. As soon as I slammed my opponent, I just remember like a ringing in my ear. I started to see double a little bit, and I was just out of it, completely out of it. And I, I don't remember how much time left. I just uh, was, was left in round one. I have to go back and watch the fight. But I remember sitting down on the stool, going up to Coach Safe, and he's just like yelling, and I can't really hear him until he just slaps me and then brings <laughs> me back to my senses for that moment. He's like, you better pull your head out of your ass and get your head in the game right now or we're going to be in big trouble. And then I was like, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I think after that slap, I kind of went back into that concussed state because I can't remember <laughs> around two. But, uh, yeah, definitely. Like, it's uh, it's never a dull moment with Coach. Uh, I love that guy to death, man. You know, I, that guy has uh, – you know, he, he could pull the best out of you, you know, and I'm a firm believer in that. And I've never had an issue with the way that he corners or with the way that, uh, you know, he, he advises us in our career and, and in, in MMA in general. You know, I think it's a, it's a tremendous, uh, tremendous coaching strategy. I think it might not be for everybody. Uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but for me, it's definitely that discipline, that punctuality and uh, the accountability that he has for everybody. It's, it's something that I love and I admire about that guy. Well, we're looking forward to seeing all of that in play, as well as all of the work that you've put into this very long-awaited re- uh, debut. Once again, fans, this is Ramiz Rahimai, who fights Max Griffin at UFC Vegas 13, Santos versus Teixeira. Ramiz, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I look forward to coming on in the future. And that interview with Ramiz Rahimai is brought to you by ProPace Sports Metrics. ProPay Sports Metrics is an Android app from the creator of the Grapple app, which is a jujitsu game. Check that out as well. Now, ProPay Sports Metrics is a brand new app that's designed to measure your athletic performance specifically in striking combat sports. They use this flagship feature called the Striking Clinic, which actually uses your phone's mic to detect whether or not you're kicking or punching the heavy bag, and which drives up your, your striking rate. And the really cool thing about it is they give you a little beep when they think your next strike is due, and you need to strike then. If you don't, they subtract from your score. They've got all kinds of cool graphs and charts after you're done so that you can see whether or not you're reaching those goals. And hey, if the goals are a little too hard for you, I got good news for you. ProPay Sports Metrics has actually got five different speeds for you so that you can go up if things are way too easy, down if things are way too hard, and you can match the goals that you want and hopefully get to the end by by the time... Uh, you know, you're ready to share it on Twitter with your friends because that's the other really cool feature. You can share your scores, your graphs, your charts on Twitter with your friends with this great app. So check out, first of all, check them out on Twitter, at ProPaceApp, and check them out in the Android app store, ProPaceSportsMetrics. All right, and joining me now is Max Griffin, who fights Ramiz Brahimai at UFC Vegas 13, Santos versus Teixeira. So, you know, Max, I, I was looking back at your record, looking at back at what's recently gone down, and th- this is actually your first fight since, like, the COVID lockdown. Is there a particular reason for that? Have you been healthy this whole time and just not wanted to take a fight, didn't get offered a fight? What, what's the layoff sort of been uh, been caused by? Yeah, COVID was kind of weird. Um, when it first happened, I really did COVID. Like, my gyms were closed, other gyms were closed. I wasn't, um, you know... Um, training like normal and it was unusual at the beginning um they asked me a fight like on a week's notice and i turned that down i mean i'm not gonna fight when my gym's closed and all that i turned that down that was against uh i think soto so 
Asian guy. Oh, uh, Sato. Takashi Sato. Yeah, there you go. It was against him on like nine days. And I was like, I was like why? What, what do I have to gain from that? So I turned that down and that was, shit, March, April. That was maybe April or something around there. Um, maybe a little later, but um, yeah, since then, I mean, you know, they say be ready. So I've been training this whole time, um, you know, put in my words and uh, we got to fight. And and also they told me, hey, be ready, I want to say in August, you know. So I was ready in August. I was ready to fight. And then we didn't get the call until a little bit later. But then they said, you know, about 10 weeks out. So it extended the camp. But all you can do in that time is just get better. And that's what I've done. And, and so you've been in camp, like, constantly since August, like, expecting a fight since August? Yeah, he said be ready. So I, I was mentally, like, two weeks out, you know, um, for months. And then when we got the fight, um, it was, like I said, about 10 weeks out. And um, so that I actually had to take a break. They're like, dude, you're in the peak right now. So we had to kind of slow it down. Uh, take like a week off just so I don't peak too early and now it's time that's time baby well we're we're excited that it's finally time now you you mentioned you know what do you sort of have to gain by fighting Takashi Sato on nine days notice you 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 wind up though again in a fight that that's against the guy who's who's making his UFC debut and you know not for anything you're a guy who's fought the top guys in your division you fought Colby Covington you fought guys like Mike Perry and Alex Oliveira is it weird that you're taking this fight, uh, you know, granted with enough notice and finally getting back in the cage, but against like a tough opponent with, with almost no, ex, you know, UFC experience? Yeah, he's good. But, you know, I've had a lot of fights, man. This is my 10th UFC fight. And, um, you know, I look at this guy as like, yeah, you know, I'm ready to put anyone away now. My last fights have been split and so close, these fights. The last four fights have gone either way, bro. If you look at the fight, um, I may not have the best record, but if you look at the fights and watch the fights, um, I'm beating these guys up. So, uh, you know, they're razor thin. You could blow the needle either way. And uh, it's a new guy. He's good. Um, he's a grappler. He's, you know, but, you know, it's time to go, man. I'm uh, working some new things. Uh change the southpaw a little bit, working these angles. Now I kind of learned what angles are when I figured out what southpaw was, you know, getting it outside and just have more fun in there, man. I've, I've been so so serious on myself and been so, it's so serious, right? I'm tense and these fights are pretty serious, but um, I got a new mental coach and we've been working some stuff on just being authentic and uh, having fun, man. When I'm at my best, I'm having fun. So I'm having fun. I'm gonna fucking smoke this guy. You know, he's he's new. He's a new guy making his debut. And from me to my debut, now, bro, I was a little baby back then. So um, he doesn't know what he's in for. Maybe he does. I know he has some training partners that are in the UFC, but it's not the same, bro. It's not the same. And I'm gonna shine. I'm gonna put this guy away and um, call some guys out. Well, and, and, and it's interesting, too, that you said the mental coach thing, because I've heard a lot of different fighters moving to that side of things, too, and putting more work into the mental aspect of it. 
Is that something that you decided to do after all of these close decisions? Like, did the the fight with Cowboy like sort of spark your idea to to go after that kind of stuff? It just kind of developed. I've been I've been spending more time at Team Alpha Male um, with Uriah and these guys, and they have a real good squad, real good team. You know, Danny Patterson he works with a few of those guys, and those guys are on me about it. Um, Feely, um. You know, Michael Malott, these guys were like, hey, talk to this dude. And I've talked to different guys before, and I've, you know, I've had mental coaches numerous. Um, I'm fine, but they said, really, man, talk to this guy. They were on me, you know. And uh, I finally did, and at first I was like, uh, you know, I'm I'm real. I don't just buy everything, right? So I worked with them for a little bit, and he's a truth, bro. He, he knows me, and you know, I did this thing public, you know, um, core values, but I got some real good stuff going. And um, when I'm at my, he, he got me to where I, where I am at my best at, and that's where I've been training. That's where my mind's been. That's how I've been in my everyday life. So I've been living that strictly. And um, I'm gonna have a good time in there and fucking put my hands and feet on this guy and uh, maybe choke him out. Yeah, who knows? You know. Well, well, I'd love to hear that, that you're in a great mental space. Now, I'm curious, too, because you said you changed to doing a bunch of your training at Team Alpha Male. And th- that's interesting to me, too, because, you know, that that's a team we, we know as being the team who's got, you know, kind of a lot of little guys on it. And granted, they got some bigger guys, too. But what what sort of prompted you going up to Team Alpha Male and getting some training in there? You know, I I worked a little bit um, last camp with my guy, Saba Borshev, who's a, I guess, K1 champion, he's nasty. So I started working with him a little bit out in um out at Alpha for the Oliveira fight. He was long in that, and then uh, Uriah and my manager um, Dave Hirschbein kind of connected. Like, hey, we've 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 kind of been like rivals in Sacramento for my whole career. You know, I fought a bunch of their guys on the circuit um, coming up, and they have big guys. They have some dudes, world class guys, bigger guys. Um, smaller guys too, but they, they have world class talent up there. Um, Fabio Prado, Ryan Loader, you know, San Francisco champion wrestler. I mean, we got these guys that are so so that know so much. It was like even exchange. I'm helping them. I'm one of the baddest motherfuckers around. So it was it uh it went good, man. I'm there Mondays and Wednesdays. We're working. We're at pro practice, and uh, they got got a little you know got a lot of good looks. Um, a lot of them are wrestlers, you know, and Jiu-Jitsu aces, so I mean, I'm fighting a fucking grappler. So I mean, I mean, it it fits it fits into the schedule and uh, it's reciprocated, man. It's all love bringing Sacramento together again. I I love that too. Now I, I'm curious too. You know, you've mentioned a couple of times that he's a grappler. That is definitely his forte. All of his wins are by submission. You said that you feel like you can go to the ground with him. Is a lot of that confidence from the work you've done with Team Alpha Male and that you feel like, hey, if I can de- defend a submission against the Team Alpha Male guy, I can defend it against this guy? Yeah, I've been rapping with a lot of guys, you know, my whole life and for years. Um, I mean, my ground game's underrated. I've been rolling with black belts my whole life and um, working a lot with Chris Holdsworth, you know, in his no-gi classes. He's like in second or third degree black belt. And I'm rolling with these guys that are, so good, like, like, like beyond good, like stupid good. Um, I know Philly, you know, 
brought out um I think Gary Tonin out there. He was out there for a couple of weeks. So we have these fucking guys that are just so good. And um I'm doing really well. So it's like, hold on, this guy, you know, he you know, he's a world class grappler guy or he you know, he's he won some little awards and stuff and he may be a purple belt or something, but I'm a I'm not scared, bro. I've been fighting everyone I've fought's pretty much been a black belt and this guy's not like that. Um he's won by submission. Um, you know, if you went on your fights by submission, you're not a striker. Um you you're you don't like getting hit. He he could try to fool everybody else and that, but if all your wins are already submission, you're a grappler, bro. Um, you are. So, you know, he talked he was saying some things how he's just gonna come in there and submit me like I'm not one of these gumshoe, wet behind the ear kind of guys um, that hasn't been in there with the best, best in the world. He hasn't, so I'm using my wisdom, um, use my savviness, and put this guy away, man. Uh, I like fighting these new guys. They're they're super tough, you know. They're all super tough, you know, mentally, or they think they are, and they got something to prove. And um, it's gonna be a bad first fight for this man. Well, we're looking forward to it. Now, I did want to ask you one more question, too. You've been fighting for a long time, and you mentioned, you know, you've you've been up against guys, and you've been training with guys like that your whole life. I know you started martial arts when you were a real little kid. Is there something in particular that got you into doing MMA or, or got you into doing even just martial arts at such a young age? Well, I used to love, I mean, not used to, but I lived in Ninja Turtles, and, uh, I used to want to be a Ninja Turtle, actually, when I was young. And, uh, you know, I've been doing it ever since. I took a break, you know, uh, when I got to high school. But, you know, I was watching all the UFC stuff and was like, dude, like, what's he doing? I need to do that. Or he, I was critiquing it. And uh, that was 15 years ago. And here we are now, man. Uh, Ten fights in. I love it. I'm getting better every day, like, truly. Ask my training partners, ask anyone, like, it's going to be nasty. I'm sharp, man. I've always been powerful and quick and stuff, but um, now I'm going to have fun. Now I'm sharp. I'm razor sharp. And I'm a chop that's got a pieces. Well, we're looking forward to that, and we are looking forward to the fight in general. And that is on this upcoming Saturday, UFC Vegas 13, Santos versus Teixeira. Make sure to catch Max Griffin versus Ramiz Brahimai. Max, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Max Griffin and the one before with Ramiz Brahimai. I am personally excited for that fight, but we should move on a little bit because right now I am joined by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I want to start here. It, it might be over. It might not be over. But, but let's reminisce a little bit about Anderson Silva's career. What is the moment from his career that you'll always remember. You know, Gumby, I, like you, uh, am a huge MMA nerd from way back, and I've followed Anderson's career, even going back to the, the Pride days when he was losing by uh, by a heel hook. Um, but, yeah, when he came into the UFC, if you had to ask me what are the moments that stand out, I think the big ones for me was the debut against Lieben, just seeing what an absolute master performance and, you know, cut above, what he was at the UFC at that time, just when it came to striking, uh, the Mike Goldberg, uh, BJJ, Michael Jordan comment about what was his name? <laughs> Travis Luter. Travis Luter. Is that who it was? It was Travis yeah. Luter. 
Now, that's not an Anderson Silva highlight, but it just sticks out to me. And then the Forrest Griffin fight, just Forrest punching at air, getting frustrated, running out of the cage. That was pretty much peak Anderson Silva to me. Then in like the later years, as you were getting closer to the Weidman loss, I think the last, if I'm not mistaken, now he did beat Stefan Bonner preceding the Weidman loss. Um, but for me, it would probably be the front kick to Vitor Belfort was like that last highlight reel. That's fucking Anderson Silva. And then since then, it's just kind of been depressing. How about you? So you you missed my favorite one that I was I had been planning on bringing up and that was the the oh, shale the, the shale sun and hail mary I've been losing for twenty three minutes triangle choke uh, to keep his title and then in the rematch just absolutely making shale sun and his bitch like you know like showing that you know the first time might have been a fluke and, and that was like that was Anderson Silva to me like he would play with his food and then like sometimes get stuck and like usually find a way out it just became like age caught up with him and if he played with it anymore like chris weidman showed us like he couldn't play with it anymore at a certain point um but that doesn't mean that like that style will ever be any less entertaining to me yeah i also have to say you know obviously i mean he defended the the middleweight title a number of times and he's a surefire ufc hall of famer i can't stress enough how he had a very similar downward spiral of his career in later years. I mean, it was very ugly, like from 2013 on, and I don't have the stats in front of me. You can have, we can have the interim look it up or we'll post it on our Twitter after the show um, posts online. But what was he like one seven and one, no contest, something like that. I mean, that's really ugly. You and know, that, one win is, that one win is barely a win too. Like I had him losing that fight to Derek Brunson. Right. Well, and I will say the no contest was actually very fun with with Nick Diaz lying down in the center of the octagon and talking trash. But that all being said, I mean, it was one of the uglier, you know, he did not go out like GSP did. Um, and, And I guess for me, what I wanted to say was it doesn't take away how good he was. You know, to me, if someone were to try to tell me that he's on the same level as like a Vitor Belfort or like a Rampage Jackson, like one of these guys that they came up in pride, then they came into the UFC and had success and Anderson, obviously more than them. Um, but then had these like ugly, you know, last few years where they were really just getting paid because they were a name. Um, I just can't state it enough. If you're a newer fan Anderson is not Rampage. Anderson is not Vitor Belfort. I mean, Anderson in his prime was fucking Michael Jordan. And uh, it was awesome to see when when it was there, but it hasn't been there for going on seven years now. Yeah, the one thing I will say, too, just to, to you know, go up against one of the things that you said, it, it, it was... It was not good at the end, but at least, you know, sort of like you said earlier, at least we didn't see the Chuck Liddell decline where he was getting mm. knocked fucking silly every single time he fought. Or like, you know, the BJ Penn decline where he was, you know, getting stuck in heel hooks that like he had no business getting stuck in and was getting outstruck by Clay Guida. You know, like the the decline for him includes – a decision loss to Israel Adesanya, going four uh, rounds to DC too. To D- a decision loss to DC yeah, to DC, going four rounds with Uriah Hall in like a not 
uncompetitive fight. Like, when he started to fall apart, he, like, really fell apart. But, like, he didn't look awful to start. So, like, it wasn't like watching Rich Franklin absolutely stark uh, Chuck Waddell put him out cold with his eyes rolled into the back of his head. At least we didn't have to see that Anderson go out. Now, that being said, we haven't seen that Anderson go out yet. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because he might end up in Bellator, and we might see some really dirty performances. For for sure, yeah. I I would totally not be surprised to see Anderson Silva versus Shale Sun in three. Oh, God, let's spare (laughs) us all. I'm not excited about that, but I will tell you what I am excited about. It's our favorite segment on the show, Fight Stocks Parlays for UFC Vegas 13, and we're going to get to that right now, headlined, of course, by Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira, a great main event at light heavyweight. But before we do, Gumby, one may wonder, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fight Stocks and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlay is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. So whether you do kickboxing, judo, jiu-jitsu, or sambo, it doesn't matter. Use Maroon Social to log your training sessions so that you can keep on top of whether or not you're meeting those goals. And you can also log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Check them out. Maroon Social, wherever you download apps. All right, so we'll start with the main event, as we've been known to do. Tiago Santos is coming off a loss to John Jones. He was actually pretty competitive in that fight. When you take into account, he blew every ligament you can imagine in his knee, ACL, MCL, the meniscus, PCL, PCP, TNT, just every three-letter acronym that's in a knee, he tore in that match. Um, And before that, the knockout artist, was on a hell of a win streak, actually. Uh, he had won four wins in a row, wins over Kevin Holland, Eric Anders via TKO, Jimmy Manoa via KO, Jan Blankovic, the current champion via TKO. The guy is a knockout artist, and you'd expect nothing less from a man with a sledgehammer tattooed on his chest. But he's been off now uh, going on about 15, 16 months, so we have not seen him in a long time. This bout was booked. Uh, earlier in the fall, and it got canceled twice because of COVID. Uh, I believe once Glover got it, and then the other time he got it, being Tiago Santos, but now we finally get it, and hopefully no one gets COVID in the next few days or any other sort of injury or ailment that could stop this fight because it's an exciting fight. Glover Teixeira is on a four-fight win streak, wins over Carl Robison via submission, wins over Ian Kutaleba uh, via submission, a split decision win over Nikita Krylov, and a TKO win over Anthony Smith. So a four-fight win streak. You'd have to go back to July of 2018. His last loss was a unanimous decision loss to Corey Anderson. He's making a push here late in his career. I think at this point he's probably the, I don't know what you want to say, like the, the old grizzled veteran of the light heavyweight division. Jones has since, I guess, moved on. DC is retired. Uh, talk of Anthony Rumble Johnson coming back, but it would be at heavyweight. So Glover Teixeira is the veteran presence at 205, and at age 41 on a four-fight win streak, my question to you, Gumby, is can he make it five and maybe make a push to the title? I will also mention he's a plus-185 dog. Tiago Santos, the minus-225 favorite. Who you got? So I'm leaning towards Santos on this one. I think he's the smart play being that, you know, like he's the big knockout artist here, and, and he's clearly got an advantage standing against Glover. Glover has got some good boxing. He's decent up close. But, like, if we're looking at what he's able to do, you know, I'm not, I'm not really impressed on what he'll be able to do on the feet. 
I do have a lot of pause on Tiago Santos at those odds, though. Negative 225 seems a little steep for fighting somebody like Glover Teixeira, because if you go back to his past fights, Tiago Santos doesn't have great takedown defense. Tiago Santos gave up six takedowns to Eric Anders. Eric Anders, freaking middleweight dude, and not in granted, Tiago Santos came up from middleweight too. But six takedowns to, to Eric Anders, who we don't know is a particularly gifted takedown artist, right? You could also go back. He gave up a takedown to Anthony Smith. He gave up three takedowns to Gerald Mearshart. Like, some of those at middleweight, some of those to a middleweight at light heavyweight. But, like, regardless, he has not necessarily looked all that impressive stopping takedowns. Now, with that being said, he'd stopped the one sort of half-hearted effort John Jones had in their bout. But to me, you you have to know that Glover Teixeira is going to come in there and going to try to use that game plan. Now, whether he can do that without getting hit for an extended period of time, that's kind of where my doubt comes in. And that's probably why I'm picking Tiago Santos here. But I do think this is a lot closer of a fight than a lot of people are going to make it, especially the bookmakers. I'm a huge Glover Teixeira fan, so I try to put that to the side when I pick fights with him uh in it um i obviously love his submission grappling game and i think that's kept him in the game so to speak late in his career he just has such a advantage when a fight goes to the ground over these light heavyweights uh tiago santos i look at it like this he has two submission losses in his career um he lost to uh, Eric Spicely via rear naked choke. He lost to Cesar Ferrara via guillotine choke. That was actually his UFC debut back in 2013. Kind of funny to think about Santos. Been in the UFC for seven years, got the title shot six years in. Um, he definitely has the speed advantage. He has the power advantage. I don't love the idea of Glover trading with him, much like I didn't love the idea of Glover trading with Anthony Smith. But if he could somehow neutralize that, also Smith, or excuse me, Santos coming off the knee injury, will he be as quick? It's his first fight back. This seems like a good opportunity for Glover to maybe in the third or fourth round as Santos, who's already a big guy and not known for having the greatest of gas tanks, although I was amazed how long he lasted and was able to stay competitive against John Jones through five rounds on one leg. Uh, maybe that could be an opportunity if Glover were to get him down. You know, no offense to Eric Anders, he is not Glover Teixeira. Once Glover gets you on the ground, you might not get back up. And that's obviously Glover's path to victory here. I probably lean Santos again just because of the speed power advantage. And we're going to get five rounds that start on their feet. Uh, But if it were to go to the ground, I think we could be in business. If you like the Glover submission parlay, I would never talk someone out of playing that. Uh, Yown, I'm going to butcher this name <laughs> Yao Nan is a minus 135 favorite Claudia Gedalia a plus 115 dog uh Zhao Nan did I say it right got Zhao it there Nan. yeah we'll, we'll go with that one <laughs> we'll go with that uh I should probably learn her name better because she's on a five-fight win streak wins over Caitlin Curran uh Vivian Pereira uh Siori Kondo, Angela Hill, and a woman named Carolina Kowalkowicz, who I think we all know, all by decision. So really making a name for herself that people need to learn in the UFC. Claudia Gedalia is coming off a win over Angela Hill, beat Randa Marcos before that, lost to Nina Ansaroff before that, and beat Carla Esparza before that. So she is 3-1 and one in her last four. Um, 
all by decision, by the way, the wins and the losses. So maybe we don't expect a finish here because we got two decision monsters on our hands. Uh, who are you taking? I'm going to take Yan Cho down. And, and the reason why I like her in this fight is uh, she's a volume puncher and, and, and really impressive volume. If you go back and look at her fight metric stats, uh, I am absolutely blown away by the pure numbers she put on. And it's sort of like if you watch the fight with Angela Hill, Angela Hill comes in and she throws a couple of punches, but she is never within striking distance without being hit by like four or five punches from Xiaonan. And and now you're right. She is a decision monster because she doesn't throw those with a lot of power. That's sort of what helps her keep her gas tank up, which is one of the reasons I like her here against Gedalia too, because Gedalia is going to try to wrestle her a little bit. And even if she has success early on, I think the, the... Energy she is going to exert going for those takedowns is going to cost her in the late second and early third rounds. And I think Shaanan is just going to pour it on and win easily those last couple of rounds. And as a result, probably win a a very close decision here. Do you give Gedalia the advantage should it go to the ground, though? I do, but here's the thing about Shaanan when it hits the ground, though. So I don't think she has a particularly nuanced ground game, especially off of her back. Um, she almost got caught in a submission from Angela Hill when she was on top. I don't expect her to be on top against Gedalia, so that that's kind of a moot point. But the one thing I will say about her is she doesn't settle on the bottom. She's not the type of fighter who will throw up a guard and just let somebody work from there. Instantly, she's feet on the hips, butterfly hooks, things like that, gets her opponent up off her and works right to her feet. So uh, again, if if we're thinking about Gedalia's gas tank and worrying about that in any way, shape, or form, it has failed her in the past. It is what cost her a fight against Ioana Janjacek. You know, if she goes for a takedown and gets it and only winds up with two seconds of top control and then has to go for another one right afterwards because she's getting peppered on the feet, that doesn't bode well for her gas tank. That is probably the worst case scenario here. So while I think Shaunan is probably less skilled on the mat and is probably prone to give up a takedown or two here, I don't think the fact that she's giving those takedowns up all that much is is going to affect her game plan and her path to victory. Well, don't look now because we're going to move on to our next fight. And Tanner Boser is 3-1 and one since entering the UFC, the one loss being to Cyril Gain. Uh, but he's coming off wins over Raphael Pessoa via TKO. That was a performance of the night. And Philippe Linz, which was a KO. Uh, so on a two-fight win streak. And he's fighting the veteran and a legend, really. And I know one of your favorite fighters, Andre Orlovsky, who's actually coming off a unanimous decision win over Philippe Linz as well. So they have that opponent in common. Uh, Arlovsky, again, you know, he's the veteran. This is going against an up-and-coming fighter. Arlovsky is at a spry age of 41, although I guess we've seen older people compete well into their early 40s at heavyweight. Um, The odds on this, if you want to know them, Boser is a minus 250 favorite, which, correct me if I'm wrong, might be the biggest favorite on the card, if not one of the biggest. And Andre Arlovsky, the plus 220 dog. Want to hear the path to victory for Arlovsky? Who are you taking? So it is the biggest favorite on the main card. There is a couple that got added to the prelims that wound up being like, I mean, like Giga Chikadze, I think is betting off at like negative 900 right now for his fight with Jamie Simmons. Um, And rightfully so, he's just going to absolutely obliterate that guy. So, you know, the path to victory for Arlovsky has been the same thing for probably, 
man, I, I'm trying to think of how long it's been this, but since he, he moved to American Top Team and started working with Mike Brown, and I know he's kind of moved around since then, but when he first started working with Mike Brown, it became really clear that his new path to victory, his new way of approaching things, was to point fight. If he goes in there and slugs, his chin doesn't have it anymore. He's going to get hit by a heavyweight and he's going to go to sleep. We saw it against Rosenstreich. You know, we saw it against Walt Harris. We saw it, you know, like, if just you touch him now, it's going to hurt him because he doesn't have the chin anymore. So he's sort of adapted to that. He, he's become kind of more of a point fighter. He pumps his jabs. He doesn't overcommit to anything. And I think that's really smart. With that being said, this is the wrong guy to be fighting with that style he won't engage you in that fight. Like, if you look at the last two guys he, or the last guy he beat in Felipe Linz, Felipe Linz will fight that fight with you. Felipe Linz isn't looking to turn anything into a slugfest. Tanner Boser will make this a slugfest. Tanner Boser will get on in the inside. He will throw absolutely fucking crazy haymakers. And then afterwards, he'll open a can of monster with his teeth like he did at the last press conference which I will love. Uh, but that being said, you know, it's hard for me to pick against Arlovsky, but that's exactly what I'm going to do here. I'm, I'm going to take Tanner Bowser and I'm going to take him by knockout. Fair. Um, our underdog of the week, and I might butcher the name, Ramiz Brahimai, a plus 150 over Max Griffin. Why do we like him? And how close did I get on pronouncing his name correctly? First of all, you nailed it. Ramiz Brahimai uh, is my pick for underdog. We talked to him this week. First of all, I'm always a sucker for Fortis MMA. And actually, we talked to his opponent this week, too, so it's kind of awkward that we're talking about this. But I do just love him so much as a prospect. He's fighting out of, like I said, Fortis MMA. He's a safe side product, which automatically gets me on his side. And then in addition to that, he's a guy who's got eight submissions out of his eight wins. Um, he, he won Worlds, granted, at Blue Belt, but he won, you know, Nogi Worlds. He's got great submission skills. And the thing here I like about him against Max Griffin is, he, he's willing to, to go for those submissions. He's not one of those guys who's like a, you know, a, my co-host on the, the prelim podcast this week said he's less like a boa constructor. He's less like Damian Maya. And he's more like Ray Borg back in the day where he just jumps to your back and just jumps on a guillotine and just jumps for a Dar's choke. He just goes for it. And I actually think that that's probably the approach you need against Max Griffin. Max Griffin also has been in a bad way of losing close split decisions. So, you know, given the fact that Ramiz is probably going to have success in the grappling, I, I like him here in either a close decision or maybe even to get that submission, and especially at plus 150. Uh, our parlay to play, Alexander Romanov, minus 275, paired together with Brandon Allen, minus 115. So taking two favorites, pairing them together in the parlay will get you plus 150 odds, break her down. So first of all, if you can find a prop bet out there for Romanov by submission in either the first or the second round, I suggest you dump your entire life savings into that. Now, do not come to me if you happen to lose those life savings, but I will tell you that that is about as sure as a bet as I've been in a long time. Because Romanov is a guy who is coming in here in his UFC debut. He looked absolutely stellar with his submission skills. He's got great wrestling uh, coming out of Moldova, and he's fighting a guy who has had it? I mean, it, when you look back at, at Marcos Rogerio de Lima's uh, resume, it's almost comical how easy it is to predict what happens to him. Listen to this: last fight he won by TKO. Before that, he lost by submission. Before that, he won by decision. Before that, he lost by submission. He won the fight before that by knockout. And get this: before that, he lost by submission. 
Before that, he won by submission. And before that, he lost by submission. And this keeps going. Like, the, the dude, just every other fight has been losing by submission because he doesn't have really great sub defense. They put him in there with an absolute killer who's going to ragdoll him and submit him. Romanoff by submission is an easy one to put in there. I'm taking him just to win here as part of my parlay. I'm not getting too greedy. And I'm also pairing him with Brandon Allen, who's fighting Ian Heinish. I think Brandon Allen is probably one of the most underrated 185ers right now. I actually think he's a top 15 talent. His grappling game is good. His boxing is good enough to stand with Ian Heinish until he frustrates him. Uh, and then he, he will probably get the takedown and have top control against Ian Heinish here. So with those two being pretty much an even money bet, and then you add in Romanoff, getting plus 50 on that, and, and I do think it is a pretty sure thing. All right. Well, I'll tell you what's a sure thing. It's our advice because we're pretty good at what we do. We hope you enjoy it. We hope you'll go to iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, and always, of course, you can catch us on Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. We will be live tweeting during the event this weekend. We sure hope you'll join us. Gumby, that wraps up what I need to say. Why don't you wrap up the show as a whole? And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without our sponsors, Maroon Social and ProPace Sports Metrics. Make sure to download both of those apps wherever it is you get your apps. And make sure to check us out on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA and on Instagram at Top Turtle MMA as well. You can catch all of our latest content dropping on Flow Combat, the mothership, so head on over there as well. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland, he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll see you then.